0: This is Real Estate Rookie, show number 44.
1: It's never too early to start talking to your kids about uh, investing. Like Ashley said, your your youngest son is three. That's that's amazing, right? To, To make sure that it's like a very normal part of the conversation.
0: My name is Ashley Kerr and I'm here today with my lovely co-host, Tony Robinson. We have a very special episode for you guys. It's just going to be us. You're going to get all of us, the whole episode. And we are going to be answering questions uh, from the rookie request line. Thank you to everyone who sent in their voicemails. Tony and I got to listen to all of them. They get emailed directly to us. And we picked out 10 of them that we are going to answer. And we also get a special cameo from the show producer, Kevin, today too.
1: Yeah, I I love these kind of episodes because, you know, actually we do our best during the interviews to pull out some really good questions from the the guests, but to actually hear all of the listeners' questions and and be able to dive into them deeply, I'm, I'm excited for that.
0: Yeah. So before we jump into the first question, I want you guys to know that you can call one eight 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 five rookie and call and leave us a voicemail at any time. Tony will listen to it if you leave it at 1 a.m. or you leave it at 3 p.m. <laughs> so make sure to call and leave us your questions and we could play it on a, a future episode of the Real Estate Rookie podcast.
1: Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way?
2: Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com.
3: The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day, with Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets.
1: All right, so our first question today.
2: Hello, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Di Rafael. I'm actually a Graduating senior in college, I live here in Lowell, Maryland, and one of the questions I have, during my real estate investing career, I wanted to know how should I go about purchasing my first property, whether I should purchase it through an LLC or purchase it under my individual name, and what are some good accounting software that I should use when it comes to understanding the costs for the renovation, the loan, and calculating, things like that. Appreciate your advice. Thanks. So
1: Stai, I think for me, this is it, it's, it's really a personal decision on, on what your goals are. I know for me, uh, especially for someone getting started, I like the simplicity of just keeping your loan in your own name. One, it's, it's easier because you don't have to worry about setting up the LLC. Two, you'll, you'll typically get better financing terms, right? When you, when you do it through an LLC, a lot of times you're getting commercial rates, which are shorter terms, higher interest rates, but when you do it in your own name, you get a nice 30-year fix and you can take advantage of the, the really low interest rates that we're seeing right now. So that, for me as a newbie, your first real estate investment, I said, just do it in your own name.
0: Yeah. And you can put umbrella policy to protect you, give you that, you know, that insurance, that liability protection. So just to bounce off of what Tony had said is that it really depends on what your goal for the property is. So do you want that long-term fixed rate, like that really nice, sweet residential loan, or are you looking for something that maybe you even plan on refinancing down the road where you're okay with a five-year fix and doing that commercial? Also, what do your personal finances look like? Residential loan, they're going to be looking at your credit score, what your income is. Do you have that W-2 income? Maybe if you've been self-employed, you don't exactly have two years of tax returns, the commercial route would be better for you, and then you Can go ahead and put it in an LLC anyways, because they're going to be looking at the property, what the value of the property is, what the numbers on the property are. So there are a lot of variables you have to look at for that. So I definitely recommend checking out what your goals are and what you can get approved for too with your financing. Because I think, Tony, you would agree that really putting it in an LLC or your personal name comes down to the financing of the property.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And 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 you make a really good point about like the the refinancing portion because I know you always mentioned on the show Ashley that at one point you had like a 7% or 9% interest loan or something like that, right? But you're able to refinance if it and it still made sense in in the long run, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's a lot of great options for financing depending whether you do the LLC or your individual name. I just highly recommend if you do your individual name that you put it put an umbrella policy on that property actually
1: elaborate on that a bit for guests and maybe aren't familiar with with umbrella policy
0: yeah so what it is is it's an extension of your current homeowner's policy. So maybe you have your primary residence, you have two automobiles and you have your investment property. This umbrella policy would cover all of those and be an extension to the separate policies you have on there. So maybe your liability on your investment property is only 200,000 that they would cover if someone sued you. Well this umbrella policy can bring that limit up to a million dollars where they would pay that out, cover legal fees for if someone were to sue you for that individual property and that just Protects you from if you didn't have that umbrella policy, someone could possibly sue you and, you know, take your cars, take your primary residence, take everything you own. And that's why a lot of people shy away from doing it in your personal name is because they don't want to get sued and have their personal assets taken away. Does that answer that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was like a crash course on on uh, insurance policies. It's awesome. And, you know, and, and we talk yeah. about partnering all the time. And I think that's why it's super important because like, I'm not interested in like insurance policies and anything like that. But my partner, he handles all that for us. Right. So he, he's kind of got got all that set up. So but yeah, <laughs> no, that was good.
0: Yeah. Two years ago, I actually became a licensed insurance agent and I helped a, an investor start an insurance company. And I re- wrote like my rental properties his rental properties but like beyond that like i have no idea i just work off referral commission (laughs) now like do not ask me insurance questions (laughs) okay so let's move on to our next voicemail
4: hi my name is ju young i'm a rookie investor from new jersey and i just had a question on how to find a real estate agent what kind of questions we could ask the real estate agent so that we can pick the right ones, thank you very much.
0: This is a a great question and one I tend to hear quite often is how to find a real estate agent. And just from the recommendations and what I've noticed from other investors that we've had on the podcast is that a lot of them call multiple realtors. Very few get so lucky that I'm the first one they call. That that's their rock star realtor. A lot of them call, you know, ten to thirty different realtors and really pick their brains and see how you connect, mesh, and what how your goals can align with theirs. So the first thing is you wanna make a list of what are some realtors in your area. First thing I would do is find out if they are investors themselves. That definitely is going to be an advantage to you. And really just ask that question. You can also ask if they've worked with investors before and in what market. I mean, if you're looking in, a big city, maybe there's only very certain neighborhoods. Well, one realtor could work in the neighborhood next door, and not have ever touched a house in the neighborhood that you're actually looking for. So make sure they've worked in the market that you want to purchase in too. So what are your goals? Are you looking to buy a property? Are you looking just for turnkey? Are you looking to flip a house? Ask what experience they have with that. You know, maybe they've actually done a flip themselves, or they've worked with an investor who does flips. Then ask about the availability. So when you call them, are they going to be ready to show you a house that day? And what dollar limit are they working upon? So a lot of times... um, if you find like an investor or like a realtor that's just starting out, they have a lot more time than an experienced real estate agent. So if you're gonna be looking at 20000 dollars houses like I drag my realtor to, she's awesome. She's experienced, she does great. But if there is a, a rookie realtor out there, um, they're gonna be the one that has the time to go and follow you around to all of these twenty thousand dollar properties. So that might be something to look at. Doesn't mean the realtor has to be super experienced. Are you looking for some Someone that is just going to take you to a whole bunch of showings and that's what you guys are going to do until you find the property. So that's definitely something important but just make a list of what your goals are for that property. And then how can that realtor line up and then ask them questions based on that. So Tony, I think both you and I have used, we talked about this the other day about find an agent mm-hmm. uh, browsing on there. So bigger pockets has actually a resource where you can go to biggerpockets.com forward slash find an agent to actually look up recommended real estate agents in your area too.
1: Yeah. So much good information there, Ashley. And I'm, I think the only other thing that I'd add is don't be afraid to—I won't say fire—but don't be afraid to kind of switch up who you're working with, right? If you find an agent the first time and they're not really providing you with the value that you feel that you need, or they're not giving you the the kind of time and attention that you need, don't be afraid to find someone else, right? Like I, I think I cycled yeah. through like four or five realtors the first before I bought my first deal, and I think a lot of times, especially as a as a inspiring or first time investor, you feel almost indebted to that first person because they, you know, they took half a Saturday to drive you around, and you know, now you feel like you owe them something because they spent so much time with you, but that's, that can't be the mindset that you have. Like if there, if it's not working, it's not working, find somebody else. And, and I guess the only other thing I'd add to that too, Ashley, is if you're having a hard time finding someone, obviously bigger pockets and all these other places, but also check Facebook groups. Like Facebook groups have been like a, a, a great resource for me. Obviously we've got the real estate rookie Facebook group with, you know, tens of thousands of folks in there. So poke around, say what you're looking for. And I'm sure someone will reach out and, you know, lend a helping hand.
0: Yeah. And also a realtor or, you know, an agent could ask you to sign a document that you're only going to work with them. And that puts you in a commitment with them. So for example, it could be you're your signing and for one year if you purchase a house, you're using them as a realtor, if you find an off-market deal, you're still paying them a commission and after the contract expires, you know, up to 30 60 days after the contract expires, you owe them a commission if you close on a house after that that window, that time frame. So I have had one agent ever asked me to do that. Uh, other than that, I've never come about that. What about you, Tony?
1: No. Wow. That's actually the first I've heard of yeah. it. Now, you know, I've, I've seen it on the other side when you're selling a property, right? That they say, Hey, I'm, I'm the exclusive agent for this property until X, Y, Z date, but I've never heard it on the buying side. I, I, I for me personally, I, I don't know if I would sign on with someone like that just because if it's not someone that I'm, i I know I'm going to work with long-term, like I'd be really hesitant to to jump into that.
0: Right. And you're going to, so I can see the goal of it where this realtor is going to put in time showing you how, so sending you deals, like they want to make sure that, they get something out of it at the end. But I think a really good realtor isn't going to need you to sign one of those Mm -hmm. because they know they're going to get the job done. They know they're going to find you a property. They know they're going to do whatever it takes. So I will say that this partner and I, that we still haven't purchased a house, but last year we signed a document with an agent, uh, the two of us. So if the, the two of us bought a property together, this was the agent on it. And I mean, we were taking him to, you know, Ten to $30,000 properties, dragging them all around town. It was the worst experience of my life <laughs> working with this <laughs> agent. I actually used him with another partner on another deal and uh, my check was lost for my deposit. And finally, a couple of no days later, way. it showed up and it was a money order, not even a check. But yeah, so... It, just because they make you sign one of those doesn't mean that they're a great realtor. I would say maybe it's more the other way. so yeah. it, actually, this would be it, I'd be interested to see if you guys want to share on the Facebook page what your experience has been with this. I'd be interested in in reading that if you guys have signed these uh, documents, I don't listing I don't even know what they're called actually, but Yeah.
1: That's great advice because I know a lot of times like, you know, you'll you'll just get a bunch of signs from your agent and sometimes I mean, you're not paying super close attention to everything that's in there. So good thing to screen for Ashley. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. So I'll take us to our next question.
4: Hi, uh, my name is Luis calling out of Ennis, Texas. I just recently bought my first investment home. Uh, I took a line of credit out of my house. I bought another house and rented it out. What do you think is next for me? What is the best way to take another loan out or to continue and acquire more properties? And I'm I'm looking to do the Burr
2: method. Thank you.
1: So Luis, I mean, first congrats on, on getting the first deal done. Right. I think that's where, where most people get stuck. So congratulations to you for, for getting that one completed. In terms of how you get more loans, I guess we need to know a little bit more about your situation. Like is it is it more so that you don't have the you're concerned about the income required to qualify for another loan or is it more so that maybe you have the income but not the down payment um, either way I, I think my first piece of advice would be to partner up with someone else if it's cash that you need to, to close maybe partner with the cash partner if it's if it's income you need partner with someone that's got maybe not as much cash but a little bit more income and in terms of how you find that partner there's so many different ways to do it obviously bigger pockets our, our Facebook group there's so many different ways to start networking with people and building those relationships but I think that would be my first piece of advice the the second piece would be to to shop around just because one bank, Thinks that maybe you're not bankable doesn't mean that every single bank is going to say the same thing. So you know, go with some smaller local credit unions and banks. They tend to be a little bit more flexible in their their lending practices. But just shop around as much as you can and let them know what it is you're trying to do. And uh, maybe your terms won't be as good as someone else's, but at least you can get that loan secured to to keep moving forward. I think those are all the big things. What what, what do you got, Ashley?
0: Yeah. So I. From listening to it, I took away that maybe he paid cash for this property, that he took out a line of credit and now owns this investment property in cash. So my first instinct would be to refinance that that property that you purchased with the line of credit money. So what you can do is, so yes, you're gonna have your line of credit payment where you're paying that back and now you're gonna have your refinance. So you'll be able to refinance this property because technically the bank will see this property as owned free and clear that there's not a mortgage on it because that line of credit is with your primary residence. So I would refinance that property and then use that money to buy the next property. So the mortgage on your first investment property will be used to pay for your second property. Then you'll own that property in cash. And then you can keep going and going and going. And of course, obvious disclaimer, don't get caught up over leveraging yourself. But if that's how it is that you own that property free and clear, my first instinct would be to go to get financing on that. And then like Tony kind of touched on, if you don't think that you can, you're not bankable, you can't get another loan. Maybe your debt to income ratio isn't great because of your primary mortgage and your line of credit. Try the commercial side try going to the commercial side and putting a loan on the property that way instead of a, a residential loan. Yeah.
1: I, I think the only other thing to add there to Ashley is, is hard money, right? Like we, we know that hard money mm-hmm. they' they're, uh, they're a lot more lenient with yeah. some of these things in traditional banks, but it's going to be more expensive money. So if you've exhausted all these other options and you feel comfortable with hard money, that's always a route to go down as well.
0: And uh, we just had Jacqueline Smith on our last episode 43 and she is using hard money for her flip. And even though she's using hard money, her she's still estimating to make a $40,000 profit off her, her current flip. And that just shows, like, if your numbers still work, go ahead and use that hard money. Like, yes, you could be getting 4% at the bank, but and then you're paying 15% for a hard money lender, but if the hard money is the only way you're gonna get money and your numbers still work, like, why not do it? You're still gonna be making that, for Jacqueline, that $40,000 profit at the end of the day. Okay, so our next question.
2: Luke from San Diego. Other than investing in real estate, what is your favorite investing venture? Like, What else do you invest in? Thanks.
0: Okay, Luke, I really like this question because it's something I'm passionate about and I bug and nag my other partners for real estate on this and what they should be doing. So I started out with a financial advisor. I use the same one that my partners are using. And then I found the debt-free community on Instagram and we did the whole Dave Ramsey thing, paid off our personal debt, but we also learned about index funds. So index funds are, you're investing in the stock market, but you're investing in every single stock. So like the S and P 500 to purchase an index fund, you're owning a little tiny piece of every single stock within the S&P 500. So that is what I invest in. My All my retirement funds accounts are put into index funds and that, that's what I invest in. And then I also have a mixed use building where I put a business into it. So now I'm getting residential rental income from that building. I'm getting commercial rental income from that building. And then I also have business income coming from that same building. So multiple streams of income are very important to me and then just investing in index funds.
1: Ashley, l- let's break that down a little bit. So what what are the benefits of investing in, in an index fund as opposed to, I don't know, like a, a, a regular mutual fund or just buying a bunch of shares of, of one company? What are the benefits?
0: Okay, well, first of all, another disclaimer, I'm not a personal <laughs> financial advisor, <laughs> but here's my take on it in my opinion. So I think that uh, picking stocks is a lot like gambling. You, no one can predict The stock market and if they do they get very lucky so i believe that investing in index funds i am riding the total wave of the stock market and if you look back like the past 30 years like index funds the result of that your return on that did a lot better than mutual fund like certain mutual funds like yeah a certain mutual fund might do great in one year but like the next two years it could be bad because it's just someone picking them using whatever they use to pick them. And I would rather own a little bit of everything and ride that whole wave than just trying to pick which ones I think are winners and selling the losers, whatever. But there's a lot of great Instagram accounts, uh, personal finance club. If you want to learn more about it, they talk about index funds. And then I do some index fund bonds too. that yeah yeah.
1: interesting so i i guess for myself um i've obviously outside of real estate most of my investments are in the stock market but they're they're for the company that i work for so i I haven't diversified much away from that stock one because it's done so well as of late and then two i'm usually just taking the the gains that i get from the the stock in my company and using that to fund my real estate purchases so i think as my as my portfolio grows and um, i I think we we kind of stabilize that a little bit i'll look to uh, diverse a little bit but for now i'm i'm enjoying the the gains i'm seeing there and and what i'm getting from the real estate but i'll, I'll definitely look into index funds
0: yeah and one thing to add to that too is that they're really low cost they don't have high um, fees associated with them so a lot of times you look at a, a mutual fund and it shows that you have this great return but then you look at like the fees the advisor is charging with the the company is charging and all of these you know it could be 2% or even higher taken out of your actual return. And like some index funds are, you know, like 0.05% or something compared to what some of the other big hedge funds are charging. Yeah. But also, uh, Bigger Pockets Money, that podcast, I mean, they talk about this all the time. So if you guys want to learn more about different types of investing and personal finance, definitely take a listen to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. It comes out every Monday.
1: And then Scott Trench's book also, uh, Set for Life, I know he talks about index funds in there. And then uh, Tony Robbins, not me, but Tony Robbins, the personal <laughs> development guru, he's got a book yeah. called Money Master the Game. And he he talks a lot about index funds in there as well. And 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 what you talked about was the the lack of fees and how cheap they are. So two resources for you guys to dig into if you're looking for some more information on it. Awesome, so let's jump to our next question here.
4: My name is Jill. I'm calling from the Portland, Oregon area. I'm calling to try to get some advice on where to start out. Unfortunately I recently had to go bankrupt and I am in an area that's very expensive. However, I sold my house and I have about forty grand in my bank and I am working part time and trying to become a real estate agent. I'm in the property management business right now. Actually just a leasing agent, but I get to see a lot of it. Um, And just having a hard time figuring out where to start. I don't know how hard it's going to be to find houses and financing after going bankrupt. So I would love some ideas. I would love to buy a duplex or something and live in one side to get started and then go from there.
1: So Jill, yeah, Portland's expensive market. Uh, I hear you, right? I'm, I'm in California. No, I know what that feels like. I think the first question is what's your, what's your strategy, right? There's so many different ways to get started in real estate investing that people kind of, that sometimes they don't see the whole picture. If you want to start as a wholesaler, that's a, a lot less expensive typically than putting 10, 20% down on an investment property. Like property management, that's how, actually that's how you kind of cut your teeth in real estate game. That's mm-hmm. a great way for you to learn while building some, some income as well, so that when you do get that capital and you're ready for it. I think first you gotta decide on what your strategy is. Once you've decided that, Choose a market, right? Just because you live in Portland, Oregon doesn't necessarily mean you have to invest in Portland, Oregon. Right. My my first properties, my first investments were, you know, six, seven states away because I knew that I wanted to invest in a market that was easier to get into from a cost perspective. So maybe start looking at some other markets around Portland or even somewhere else and get familiar with investing out of state, right? There's a bigger pockets book from David Green on long distance real estate investing. Great book, great resource. Read that front to back and start leveraging some of those resources. And, and maybe your money that you feel won't go far in Portland, Oregon, maybe it does go far and you know, somewhere else in, in the country. And then I, I guess the last point is house hacking. You kind of mentioned that if you are able to get approved for a home in Portland, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be like multifamily, right? You can house hack a single family house as well. You buy a house with three bedrooms. There's only one of you. Rent out your other two bedrooms and that's your opportunity to get some cash flow, uh coming in from those other two bedrooms. Uh, my, my partner did this when he first started investing. He bought a, a big, I think four bedroom house. It was just him and his wife and they rented out the other three bedrooms. And that was the the flow they needed to to kind of put them in a position to be able to invest down the road. So you got a lot of options, Jill. So hopefully one of those works for you. What do you got, Ashley?
0: Yeah, so the first thing I thought of after reading this, I don't know a ton about bankruptcy and how that affects getting a loan at all, but there are definitely a lot of ways to do creative financing. So on episode 23, we had uh, Sarah on, and she talked about how she's recently going through a divorce, so she can't have a property in her name or else it will be part of uh, the divorce. So what she did was she actually went out and found a private lender, but the private lender is owner of the deed. Like he has taken title of the property. So right now she was doing a rent to own kind of agreement uh, where she is paying. Uh, basically the the private lender purchased the house in cash. So now she is repaying the private lender and she's living in the property as a house hack. She's renting out uh, the basement unit. And so the title is still in the private lender's name. And then when her divorce is final, she'll actually go and retain ownership of that and continue her payments. So right now, all of the rent, I say that in quotes, is actually going towards the purchase price of the property. And of course, she's paying him interest as since he is the lender on the property. So that is one way you could do it. Even if you if you need to find someone, show them the numbers of how you're going to house hack that, uh, you, whether it's rent out rooms like Tony said, or, you know, if it's a a duplex, you're able to add on a unit. Them having the, the property in their name will make them a lot more comfortable because they won't actually have to go through a foreclosure process. It would be more of an eviction if you stopped paying. Um, And with having the bankruptcy on your credit, that might be a great way to get into a property if you can find someone that would lend to you doing that situation. And then once you are able to get a loan on the property, you would go to the bank and pay off the private lender and then the house would then go into your name. So that's just the, the first thing I thought of. So that was Sarah on uh, episode 23, if you want to go back and, and listen to that. And she also gave a lot of other creative financing tips, too.
5: Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate
3: journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, It might just change your life, just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you
1: think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Rookies, 2024 is the year to start protecting your rental properties with an LLC. But you don't have to do all the paperwork and filing yourself. Head over to corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets to schedule a free 15-minute consultation with an incorporating specialist. Mention Real Estate Rookie and get a $100 discount on your formation. That's corporatedirect.com slash biggerpockets.
0: Okay, so our next question. Hi, this is Lindsay. I'm from Austin, Texas.
4: I'm actually looking to buy my first investment property and would love to do it as a house hack but I still have nine months left on my current lease, and it would cost way too much to get out of it. So, I was curious if you're doing this as a first home buy with all the benefits that go with that. Is it just a matter of not having anybody else living in it, renting it out, and paying for it so it can be vacant, or are you not allowed to have any other property that you're leasing and that needs to be your primary residence?
0: Thank you. Love the podcast. Can't wait to hear an answer. Okay, Lindsay. Well, I guess if you're asking if you can go ahead and purchase it and maintain your lease, t- Tony, is that what it sounds yeah, like she's asking? do I don't think so. Okay. So really what I would do is I would move into the primary residence and just continue your lease. Just because you have that lease on that rental property doesn't mean that you have to live there. You could uh, move to the house hack. That's actually what my brother is doing. He's trying to buy a house hack right now and he lives in North Carolina and has an apartment there and he's still leasing it until his lease ends but he's living with my parents until he closes on a house hack. So you could do something like that and that's you're showing the bank that that is your primary residence. You just have this apartment that you rent. Obviously that depends on if you can afford to have the lease and to, you know, pay the the mortgage, but hopefully if you're going to do a house hack then, you know, the tent, your other occupants are going to be paying that for you. Tony, what are your thoughts on that question? I
1: guess the only thing to add would be you can also look at subleasing that, uh, that apartment, right? Like if, if you're there and you've got however many nine months left, uh, talk to the landlord to see if you can sublease that out to someone else. So then you, you get someone in there, they're covering that lease, then you go and you get your house hack and that kind of solves both problems. So you don't have to worry about carrying uh, both the mortgage and, and the lease.
0: To touch on that too, Tony, real quick is uh, when I managed an apartment complex, we actually had a clause in the lease where if you did need to vacate early, we would collect rent until the the unit was rented out and we had to actively search for someone to replace that unit. So look and see if maybe there is, is any kind of type of loophole in your lease like that.
1: Yes. and sorry. One other thing that came to mind. So you're you're in Austin, Texas. Austin is is a you know a, a desirable destination. So me putting my my short term rental hat on, you can also possibly like rental arbitrage this pro- this property, right? The one that you that you have this lease on. So if you've got nine months left, you go to the landlord, you say, hey, hey, Mister and Mrs. Landlord, I'm, I'll continue to pay my lease, but I'm going to also put this property on Airbnb for the next nine months, and you can pay them a premium on the on the rent. You know, say your rent's fifteen hundred, you tell them I'll pay you two thousand because you know you're Gonna earn four thousand per month on on your Airbnb, so that might be a good way for you to get started as well. So you turn your your lease into a, a short term rental, and you go house hack this other property. Now you're making money both ways.
0: Yeah, that's actually what I do for an apartment. I rent an apartment and then Airbnb it out. But make sure you ask that you can do that. Right. <laughs> this is one place where it's better to ask permission than it is to ask for forgiveness. Totally
1: all right awesome so our next question
4: hi my name is tom nelson calling in from chicago and my question is as far as a burr method for a first-time purchase slash house hack i was wondering what uh you know your thoughts were on doing a condo uh living in the city uh look to you know have three different exit strategies you know either sell it up to two years no capital gains tax turn it into a long-term rental depending on HOA or you could do a short-term Airbnb, depending on the area, and also I got HOA. So that's my question, I appreciate everything you guys do. Bye-bye.
1: So we're, Ashley and I are actually going to let our producer, Kevin, weigh in on this one since he's got more experience with condos. So let's hear his advice for Tom. Take it away, Kevin.
6: Hey guys, thanks, Tom. I love this question. I actually got my start with a one-bedroom condo in a market similar to Chicago, they can be a great way to get started, especially in a high-priced urban market. They are more affordable than single-family houses. Depending on your comfort level, I would look for a two-bedroom unit and rent out the other bedroom. Number one, you're low-key house hacking if you do that. You're spending less out-of-pocket than if you lived in a one-bedroom yourself and building more equity at the same time. Number two, there's just a bigger pool of buyers and renters for two-bedroom condo units. Couples, young professionals who want an office space, two young professionals who want to split up a rent payment. So that kind of protects your investment a little bit better, in my opinion. I think you're going to find it difficult to burr a condo because it's tough to force that much appreciation when you can't do things like adding bedrooms and bathrooms, majorly reconfiguring the floor plan. Etc., you can find units that need work, but generally it's gonna be more cosmetic paint and carpet flooring work than a full remodel of a house where you're forcing $50,000 of equity. So let's look at your three exit strategies so and go through them one by one here. Number one, selling it after two years with no capital gains tax. I love this option, but you do need to go in with eyes wide open to the possibility that the unit will be worth less in two years than it is today because there's a higher supply of condos in cities and anyone who's lives in a city for the past several years know they've been building like crazy. So they're more of a commodity than a single family house that's in a great neighborhood. And so they are susceptible to downturns in value. If you can hang on to it under a worst case scenario in a recession with a rental that still cash flows or breaks even, I would still pull the trigger on it, which leads us to the second point, which is a long-term rental. You correctly point out that this strategy depends on the rules of your HOA or condo board. And it's crucial to know that you can even rent the unit out in the first place. Most condos will let you do that, but sometimes they do put restrictions on how many units in the building can be rented compared to owner occupied at a single time. You want to know that number. You want to know where the condo is at that point and how close they are to that threshold. You also want to know the fees with turning the unit over. So I manage a one bedroom property for my parents in Washington, D.C. We have a new tenant moving in this week and the condo board took a $200 move out fee and a $250 move in fee just to turn that unit over because of wear and tear on the building, I guess, but we don't really get any value for that. So by the same token, I own a different condo where there's no move-in fee. So it really just depends, and your agent will be able to get you this info as you're looking at places. The third one, Airbnb or short-term rental. Here you flagged that the condo board might be an issue, and I have to say most condo boards will not allow short-term rentals. You just won't be able to get away with it. People in these buildings talk, and it's pretty obvious when you're Airbnb-ing your place out, and uh, even if your guests are quiet and respectful, if they've got suitcases and they're going in and out, most of the other owners just will have a general feeling that they didn't sign up for living in a place where... Tourists and travelers were going in and out of units. So, I have personal experience with this. I doubled my cash flow with my condo in 2016 until the condo board informed me that this was not allowed and told me to stop. And I was actually on the condo board at the time and still am. So, that was a little awkward, but we worked through it. Now, it's a long term rental for me and I make just a bit of cash flow, but it's really easy to manage. And I'm paying down the loan. It's in a great area where I can always find tenants. Other things to watch for with condos. It is a huge advantage not to have to deal with roof repairs, snow removal, basically all the common elements that are paid for in your monthly condo fee. Look for buildings without elevators if possible. I know if you live in downtown, it's going to be hard, but those tend to be a cheaper condo fee because elevators are very expensive to maintain. One last thing is lenders sometimes require more down on the property if a certain percentage of the units are rentals or if one owner owns say 50% of the units in that building. And the reason is they just see condos as more vulnerable to market conditions and they wanna protect their investment. So they may require 20, 25% down in certain cases. You wanna be sure about that going in uh, especially as an investment so set up keyword alerts on biggerpockets.com for chicago and condo would be my advice and see if other people in your area have done it successfully connect with them maybe you can even find the same building that they're in and verify that the rules are the same so good luck to you buddy thanks for the question see ya.
1: all right so i've never purchased a, a condo myself so glad that we were able to get kevin's input there I guess your your question is like, should you burr a condo? And and for me, I mean, it sounds like you've got multiple exit strategies, right? Like if you're not able to sell it, then you'll then you can turn it into a short-term rental. For me, obviously, I love short-term rentals. I'm I'm going kind of you know all in on that strategy. So for me, as long as the market you're in, Chicago is a a big major metropolitan area, it should be able to support it. So um, that would be my strategy. You know turn it into a a short-term rental, assuming that your HOA is is conducive or supportive of that. And and I I think you could really kill it in a market like that. What are your thoughts, Ashley?
0: Yeah, I really don't have anything to add to that. I don't have a condo experience, but I anything I would have thought of. But I think you and Kevin pretty much touched on
1: that. Yeah, so, sorry, one last thing to add. If you do go the short-term rental route, just just really do make sure that you're vetting the HOA properly. Um, I was actually just talking with an investor yesterday and she bought two condos in, in the same uh, complex without really understanding what all the HOA regulations are. And she said it was like one of the worst decisions that she made and she's looking to offload both of them now. So just make sure that you understand what those regulations are before you, before
0: you uh, go that route. Yeah, and that actually reminds me of a story. So during COVID, there was this guy on Instagram who does a lot of short-term rentals and he had permission to do his short-term rental. But during COVID, they did not allow any guests onto the property. So that meant he could not rent out his Airbnb. And actually, I believe it went into a lawsuit because he could not rent it out and he had had prior permission, but they kind of shut the building down to protect the residents from guests coming in, possibly having COVID and spreading it throughout the... the the building there. But yeah, so that was like something, you know, you wouldn't even a year ago, you wouldn't expect that to happen to you. So just with COVID, you know, everything has changed. So something else to, to look out for. The next question.
4: Hey, guys. My name is Alex. I'm a rookie investor from L.A. And my question here is around traditional financing in partnerships. So I'm a little bit curious about what kind of communication a potential partnership should be having with their lender upfront, and whether or not the lender needs to know the details of the partnership in order to clear that partnership For a loan. For example, if a 50-50 partner and I are each planning to put $20,000 down on a $200,000 turnkey, buy and hold property, let's say I make $100,000 a year, my partner makes, just to be extreme, $25,000 a year, does the lender care about my partners and my operating agreement and how we structure who exactly will be covering out-of-pocket costs, how the mortgage will get paid if we go several months without a renter, etc.? Or does the lender just need to see that my partner and I together are qualified to own this property and and shouldn't worry too much about each of our own individual incomes and financial positions thank you so much again for taking my call appreciate
0: it okay so the first thing on this is are you going to be putting it into an llc or are you guys getting the mortgage in your personal names so the lender will care who is the owner and who's going to be on the mortgage so if you're doing an LLC, they'll want to look at both of you, unless for some reason your partners only, I think usually they want to see 20% or more ownership in the property. If it's the residential side and you both are going to be on the mortgage, then they will both they will approve you guys together jointly. So you're it won't look like say, oh, well, he's only 25. He's not approved. they will take your basically your combined income, in my experience, and then pre-approve you guys together. But if just you are going to, if you're, the property is gonna be in both of your names, but you are just gonna be the one on the mortgage, then they will just look at you. If It's in your individual names. And then how do we pay for the mortgage if we don't get a renter? That is where it is so important to have reserves in place. So I recommend six months of reserves to cover your mortgage, your property taxes, and your insurance. Some people do three months. Some people do a full year. It's what you're comfortable with. But I highly recommend having at least some reserves in place because that can happen. You can also have a furnace go out right after closing. Anything like that, definitely have your reserves in place to cover if you don't have a renter in place.
1: Yeah, and I think Alex was also asking, like, does the, does the lender care like what percentage of these costs are coming from each partner. And I've never had a lender ask me and my, all, all, but one of my investment properties are with my partner, and I've never had the lender ask like, Tony, how much are you going to cover the down payment? And then how much is the other part? They just want the money, right? Like as long as the yeah. money's there <laughs> and everything's covered, then, then they're fine. So, um, I, they don't need to see your operating agreement or anything like that. As long as you guys can, can produce the funds, that's all that matters. I, I think the only Unless
0: t- you're doing the commercial side, they want to, if you're doing commercial lending, they'll want to see your operating agreement for an LLC.
1: Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and, and no, and and you you hit the nail right on the head. I was I was going to say that you, you see that a lot on the on the multifamily side, like when, when you're buying these kind of big apartment complexes, because those are almost always bought with LLCs. And those situations, they'll kind of do some some deep diving into how things are set up. Cool. All right.
0: Okay. Take our next one. Hi, this is Maggie from St. Louis, Missouri. I'm recently new to real estate investing, and I'm currently house hacking. My single-family home and renting out one of the bedrooms in my house. I was wondering if I should use my money towards another rental property, or I have student debt that I could pay down, and I wanted an expert's opinion on what
4: I should do next. Thanks and love the podcast.
1: So Maggie, I think this um, is—it really depends, right? And this is my personal preference, right? Like everyone's kind of got their own decisions on, you know, personal debt and how they want to manage that. But for me. If the debt that you're that you're worried about your student loans is like really low interest, you know, those kind of government backed uh, loans, I, I would say go for the go for the investment. Because, you know, if you're say the interest on your student loans are, you know, 3% or something like that, you're probably going to earn more than 3% if you go invest that money somewhere, right? If you're getting 10% cash on cash return, 10% is better than 3%. You still get a 7% difference there. So that's how I kind of use or gauge whether or not I should invest this money or if I should use it to pay down debt. High credit card debt you almost always want to pay that down because you know you're, you're you know you're paying extreme amounts of money to borrow that money um, but student loans things like cars like for example my my wife and i just recently bought a new car and we were thinking should we pay cash for this car or should we get a, a monthly car payment and when we looked at you know the 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 cost of borrowing the money to purchase the car it made way more sense to invest that money than it did to pay cash for the car because we know that we're going to earn you know through our short-term rentals you know 10 15 20 percent perhaps cash on cash return whereas the interest rate in the car loan is like 3%. So I think for me, it depends on the cost of that money that you're looking to
0: borrow. Uh, What about you, Ashley? Well, I think it really depends too on the type of person you are. So is this an emotional mental uh, decision or is this an investment type decision? So for me, my primary residence, very low interest, easily bankable to refinance, take more money on my house, but it is an emotional mental decision that I want to have my primary residence mortgage paid off. Investment wise, it, it probably would make more sense to pay off a rental because I'm getting a return on that. And also my interest rate is higher on those and just not as great terms. But for me mentally, it's like pay off my home mortgage. So that's just a big factor to take into play too is what's gonna make you sleep at night? What are you comfortable with? Um, If you don't like that student loan debt lingering over you, go ahead and pay it off. But as Tony touched on, look at the numbers too. So does it make sense. So say your interest rate on your loans are, you know, 5% um, and you can make an 8% return on an investment property. Definitely look at that. And then you could also use that cash flow to accelerate your student loan payments. That's what I did. I used cash flow to pay off pretty much all of our, our personal debt. And that worked out great for us. But we were also very conscious about making sure that cash flow was only used for debt pay down for at least a year. We did that. Another thing to touch on is first I want to say congratulations on house hacking your uh, first single family home. That's awesome. That's great. But look at the long term, too. So look, break down the numbers. And if you pay off your student loans, how much money is that going to free up each month for you to put towards another investment property? Also look at the cash flow. How much are you bringing in if you were to put that money towards an investment and just play out those scenarios? What does it look like three years down the road? If you were to pay off your student loans, how much cash would you have available at the end of three years? How much cash would you have available uh, after purchasing that investment property? I don't know if I'm explaining that well enough, but like, look at if you used all your money to pay down your student loans would they be paid off in two years and then you have those extra payments or that extra money that you would have been paying to the loans to save for one year what's that number if you're going to purchase that investment property and pay off your student loans what does that look like at the end of your three years for that so that's how i always look to analyze things i look down the road and what is the outcome of it what gives me the better return okay so we have one last question And I don't know how I got so lucky, but this question came in before Tony was actually put on the voicemail emails. So this is when Tony first started, and I've been saving it because it is from a very, very special listener. Hi, my name is Sean. I'm 12 years
4: old, and I'm from Eastwell, California. I'm a big fan, and I really like Tony as a new co-host. My question is, what advice would you give your younger self knowing what you know now as a real estate investor? I'm a young entrepreneur with goals of becoming a successful real estate investor when I grow up and would love to know the keys to success. Good job, Dad. Keep the great work.
0: First of all, Sean, I want to say that I love our new co-host too. (laughs) He's doing great. So Tony, why don't you go ahead and take this one? uh, And then I'll just follow up with it. So
1: listeners, so Sean, that's my son. So I I didn't even know that he had submitted a a voicemail. So this is, this is super cool. So we, we talk real estate all the time at home, right? Like we just spent the last three days in Joshua Tree. Um, We we were getting one of our properties set up and we brought our son out there with him. You know, he's doing the virtual learning thing. So we, I'm working during the day, he's doing school during the day. And then when we're done, we're all working on getting the, the property set up. So we, we do our best to kind of include him. So this, uh, I appreciate him calling in too. Ashley, why, why don't you take it first, right? Like he, he hears my advice all the time. I'm, I'm curious what, what, okay. what, what you'd have for
0: <laughs> Okay, well, first of all, I would take full advantage of your dad um, and <laughs> using all of his resources as possible. And I would look at, okay, so what are your goals? Write them down and then see how you can convince and manipulate your dad to (laughs) help you with those (laughs) goals. No, but really there are so many different ways to help your kids get invested in real estate at such a young age. So the first thing is putting them on the payroll. So you can actually pay them and they can earn an earned income at whatever age they are. There's not really an age limit. It's just like, when it's acceptable for them to do that type of work. So when it's your family paying you. So for example, you could uh, hire him to clean an Airbnb. You could hire him to do data entry for you. So with this earned income, he's learning part of the business. He's getting paid for it, but you can also open up an IRA for him and you can start saving for his retirement because he does have earned income. So just that is like, Two great, you know, um, I don't even know what the word is, uh, just like two great returns from him doing that as he's getting the experience and you're also able to put that earned income into a retirement. I mean, think about if you started, uh, he's age 12, you started saving for your retirement when you were 12 I've run the numbers on my own kids and it is great return. (laughs) So that's just one thing is getting involved, especially with Sean, having his dad already an investor, getting involved in the day-to-day. And it seems like he's already doing that. And the next thing is something I did with my kids where the property is still in my name, but they each have their own duplex. So, you know, right now I, I, the tenants pay the mortgage and, but it's their property. So anything that happens with that property, they are informed. I mean, my three-year-old is just like, Oh, okay. Like in one year, <laughs> out the other, but my seven-year-olds, he's like grasped it. Like, Oh, the mom, there's my house. Mom did my tenants pay their money. And we'll, you know, we'll look at stuff and yeah, he doesn't understand income expenses and he just can't wait to use all of that money to buy Beyblades or whatever. But, um, It's just, I think having someone and even if your parents don't, any other younger listeners, even if your parents don't invest, like reach out and talk to other people who are investing because I'm sure you can find someone in your network, even if it's not real estate investing and getting that that solid understanding about personal finances. There's really, you don't really learn a lot about, you know, not having credit card debt, trying to minimize student loans and Saving for money—you don't learn that stuff in school. So hopefully, Tony, you're doing a great job homeschooling him <laughs> and adding on to his virtual learning yeah. with this stuff. <laughs>
1: so so much good advice there, Ashley. And you know, I've heard Brandon Turner talk about. It. I think he bought his daughter a, a house as well. So I, I really love that. Yeah, love that strategy. But I, I guess more so for for the parents that are listening, it, it's never too early to start talking to your kids about uh, investing. Like, like Ashley said, your, your youngest son is three. That's that's amazing, right? To, to make sure that it's like a very normal part of the conversation and. And that you're you as a family, you guys all talk about those things, and you start teaching those lessons. I think we started off playing playing the the cash flow board game is is where we started, right? And he loves Monopoly, so that was kind of like a natural progression. Um, and then you know, always talking to him about you know, here we're closing on this other property, or here's what's happening over there. So really, just making him feel included, and it was so cool actually. You know, and, and this this will be my last point, but for he just turned thirteen last Friday, and one of the things that he asked for was stock in a company. So we opened him up like a custodial E-Trade account. And on his birthday, we, we showed him his account with some stocks we had put in there for him. So it, we just really want to make sure that he understands the power of investing both in real estate and, and elsewhere. So it's been a really cool process.
0: That is so awesome. And, oh, man, we just missed my birthday. I wish I would have asked you for the same thing. <laughs> but you'll have to tell him about index funds now. There you go. So right. You that, that's the next lesson. That's the yolk. next lesson. Yeah. Oh, that's so awesome that he asked for that. Um, that's, I would love for my kids to want something like that for their birthday or holidays. Um, so. Okay. Well, that is our last uh, rookie request line question today. Thank you to everyone who submitted your voicemails. And I think we'll do another one of these, you know, in a couple months. This was fun. We do love having guests on the show too. If you want to apply to be on our show, you think you'd be a good fit, you are a rookie yourself and you want to inspire others and give some great advice, you can go to biggerpockets.com forward slash guest and fill out an application. And then make sure you guys send us your voicemails too. And mean, we could play them on an episode at one eight 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 five 5 rookie so anything else you want to add on to today's show, Tony, since we get to do whatever we
1: want? <laughs> <laughs> no, this was fun. I mean, I, I love hearing the, the direct questions from the guests. And, you know, I'm sure, Ashley, you, you get it. But there's a lot of folks that like message on, on like social media, trying to ask a lot of questions and definitely do our best to get to it. But if you want it, this is the best form to do it. So send them in and, and we'd love to answer them for you guys.
0: Well, thank you guys so much for listening and I am Ashley Kerr at Wealth Firm Rentals and he's Tony Robinson at Tony J Robinson and we'll see you guys next week for another episode of Real Estate Rookie.